0: Hello, um, uh, I, I am Ulrich Amusun, I'm an investment associate at Maple Power. Welcome to the latest episode of the CFA UK in Conversation podcast. This is a show for investment professionals, focusing on a wide manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. In this episode, I'm talking to Bill Maldonado, who was appointed CEO of East Spring Investments in August 2023 having served as Interim CEO since April and Chief Investment Officer before that. Bill has 30 years of asset management experience and has led investment teams across the globe. And before joining East Spring in 2021, he served as the Asia-Pacific Chief Investment Officer and Global Chief Investment Officer Equities at HSBC Global Asset Management. Bill, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Ulrich.
0: Let's start with um, your journey. And let me go back 35 years ago. You graduated from the University of Oxford in the UK with a doctorate in physics. And you joined HSBC four years later to start your career in the investment industry. And then you spent 28 years there. What drew you to the investment industry and why did you choose to join HSBC at that time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, so it is a slightly unusual path, uh, I think. Um, when I when I finished my my doctorate, uh, I joined a um, startup uh, which had been born out of the lab where I had done my research, um, and you know they were they were already friends and, and former colleagues of mine, so it was a natural and easy thing to do. When when I joined there, they were very keen that I do an MBA, which actually I was at the time not at all keen on, uh, because i had been studying all my life, <laughs> as far as I was concerned. I was 30 years old, I'd never really um, been outside of academia. And, and the last thing I wanted to do was to do more studying and, and more exams. But they um, very kindly persuaded me to do it, and they sponsored me to do it, which was fantastic. And and so off I went. And very early on, during that MBA, I discovered that I had a real passion for for finance, I can to this day, remember, the very first finance lecture, uh, the topic, the lecturer, I can remember it really well and it was a massive eye opener for me and and I sort of remember the that moment of realization where I thought wow this is what I've been searching for much as I had enjoyed physics and loved physics this is really exciting this is what I want to do so um I I I finished my MBA and and with the knowledge and buy-in of my my then firm I started to look around for for a role in finance and um, I met uh, the person that was to become my my first boss in the finance world and, and actually he was my boss for more than 10 years. Fantastic individual. Um, and he had a very unusual um, recruitment criteria at that time. He wanted people with PhDs and MBAs and no industry experience because he wanted them to train the way that he wanted to do things. He wanted to kind of mold people into a particular approach that, that he, he developed. Uh, and that's how my, my journey began. And, and actually, sort of, uh, I always joke with people that, that it's slightly backwards because I started off doing derivatives and derivatives-based fund management. And that kind of turned into more traditional fund management, which is what I'm involved with today but that was the wrong way around to, to most people.
0: So when you, you say then that um, your boss definitely had an influence, actually, in your career, because you said actually he's been your boss for 10 years. So what are the different key learnings that, that you, you've you got throughout actually this journey, for example, at HSBC? In that early phase, I
1: would say for the first five or 10 years, um, he the, the the main thing he he did was... One to have uh, a strong belief and a strong support of me, as he did with with others. He was he was a great boss in that way, and he became a friend and a mentor. and, and we're still we're still in touch to this day, even though he retired quite a while ago. Um, and and then uh, because that that was a phase where where the organisation was growing quite quickly, there were lots of opportunities coming up all the time. So. I was very happy to um, seize those opportunities to take on those new responsibilities, and he was very, um, very comfortable in, in in giving people those opportunities. And you know, I didn't really think of it this way at the time, but you know, you're allowed to try things, to fail things, course correct. You know, all very important developmental stuff. So yeah, he was he was absolutely fantastic and and very pivotal in my in establishing my career
0: understood and as i'm pretty sure you will definitely have a lot of young investment professionals listening to that to this podcast what will be some advices you will definitely give for people for example who didn't who doesn't have any investment knowledge or investment actually skills and definitely want to be involved in that area so which will be actually one or two things that will definitely suggest them to do I think that these days um,
1: there are plenty of ways to get investment knowledge and expertise, not, not least of all, of course, through the, through the CFA. Um, and, and I think it is very important to acquire that knowledge. Um, and you can always tell when you're speaking to somebody who has been through that kind of professional training, the, the way they speak, the language, the frameworks they have, um, come out very clearly and, and, are, and are greatly helpful in in kind of discussing concepts and ideas and, and, and processes. So I do think it's absolutely invaluable. Of course, I think you also need to have uh, a great interest in doing it. I do come across people who are attracted by what I would dis- describe as some of the trappings of the industry. So of course, there is status and 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 money and 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 other things and and it's it's i think it's okay to be interested or attracted by those things but i think underpinning all that has to be an interest and I, and i would say even a passion for investing and for finance and for for learning and discovering about whatever area of investing you're in it could be companies um, it could be derivatives, it, which is where I started it, it could be a number of areas, but you really need to have that that very keen interest because I think along the way the going will will no doubt get tough it'll it'll get difficult, and if you don't have that passion and that drive to see you through I, I think it gets it gets really, really difficult further down the road.
0: Yes, and I I want to touch base definitely on what you said about being passionate. And I think, as you as you mentioned, we have those traps of being involved in the industry for status, for money, and even actually for all the traps that you that you mentioned. But do you think that to be great at what you are doing, you have to be passionate about what you do on a daily basis?
1: I do. I mean, I would um, I would just um, calibrate that slightly. I'm always a bit uncomfortable when 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 I sort of hear the, the the sort of somewhat cliche advice that you should do what you love. Um and, and you know if you if you turn your your single passion and love into a career, you know, you'll never you'll 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 never have a problem. I'm not sure that's great advice, certainly not great advice for everybody. Um I think what you need to do, or what I think is is very helpful, is to have a really strong interest in what you do and a curiosity um, and an intellectual curiosity to, to understand ever more about it, to to keep learning, to keep um, uh, kind of on on that on that upward path. So you need some drive to do that, um, but but you know, a career I think is not a sprint. And that's what worries me sometimes. With with the younger people in our business, they're in, they're in such a hurry to establish themselves and to move up the sort of initial rungs of the ladder. They sometimes are not thinking a bit bit longer term. It really is a marathon. Um, you know, I I feel like I've been on a on a thirty year plus marathon. And actually, I arguably I started very late. There's a lot of people. My age, who would have started ten years younger, so would have been doing this, um, maybe for as long as as forty years. So, so I think if you if you are successful and you have that drive and that interest, it really is a long term career, and 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 you should treat it like that rather than being in such a mad rush at the beginning.
0: Yes definitely agreed um even to follow up on that because you mentioned that you felt that the young generation definitely have this has this urge of wanting to be successful in a quick way and i wanted to know when you have a look at your early, the early stage of your career and even the current environments with the youth that we've currently got what has changed for young investment professional in terms of like career growth and also work exposure that's also an interesting question.
1: And I think younger investment professionals are perhaps a bit tired of hearing from older professionals like me, how, how, how different it is. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's something that that's quite often commented on. I think in many ways it was easier when, when I started it, I think it was easier to get into the industry. Um, It was less well understood. Um, It wasn't long after sort of Big Bang in in the city of London, which kind of really liberalized financial services. So it was a very different era. Um, I I think the main difference now is that everything is a lot more structured, right? You're you're expected to um, have planned your career from very early on. And then when we when we try to select people to come into the industry, typically it's into internships or, or graduate programs. And, you know, the, the firms are generally looking for evidence that very early on in people's lives, they had an interest in in investing and they, they joined some kind of investing club at university and maybe did... Uh, placements at, at investment firms, you know, it, it's a really high bar. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's very difficult. Obviously, if I had that bar, I would never have made it because I, I didn't do those. Things. I had absolutely no clue about business or finance or investing until I was, you know, 30 years old and then embarking on an MBA. So in many ways, it's, it's very unfair on 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 younger people it's it's much tougher fewer places and 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 the bar is is much higher so i do have a a lot of empathy for 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 people now coming into the industry and of course once they've made it in because it's been so competitive and so difficult they're very very keen to keep that that progression going again that's that's very understandable um so you know i've i've a lot of empathy for that i get it but uh yeah sometimes things you know i I don't think the the pace of progression or pace of learning is always even there are there are ups and downs in in careers um and and not everything can be planned either if I think back to my career, I didn't really plan to be where I am today or I didn't really plan to be anywhere as an interim stage. What I tried to do was try to be really open to opportunities. And as opportunities came along, I tried to seize them and do my best uh, in those opportunities and there were certainly periods when I felt I was maybe stagnating a bit and kind of was really hungry for for the next opportunity to to come along so again i'm I'm very empathetic with with younger investment professionals who get get kind of a little bit um concerned when there's a bit of a lull in the career, but but as I say, I, I I kind of just tried to look through those valleys and 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 look at the potential opportunities coming down the line, and that certainly worked for me. Um, and and I and I look back and I sort of think I'm I'm glad I didn't jump around as much as as others during parts of my career because I, actually I think I benefited from. From being in one place and, and and building up a network, building up um, an institutional knowledge there,
0: and that's that's the interesting part when you are looking at actually your your experience because we can see that you spent the 28 years in um, at uh, HSBC, and as you mentioned, you were really open to new opportunities. What does it mean when you are in the same company? What do you mean about being open to those opportunities? How do you make sure? to get those opportunities in front of your doors? How do you make sure this will be visible among actually your peers? I think there's there's two or three main
1: ingredients to that. One, one thing I would say is it's really important to do a really good job in whatever you're doing at any given time before you kind of stick your hand up and say, I'd like another opportunity. I'd like to do this other thing. I'd like to put my hand up for that. It's very difficult when you have somebody that isn't really engaged or delivering in their current role, and then they want another opportunity. That, that's often very hard for managers to give people the opportunity. People really need to deliver and, and be very engaged with what they're doing at any given time. And I know that's sometimes difficult because it may not be a great assignment, not be a great role but I think it's nevertheless really important to to deliver on it. Secondly, I think you have to be flexible. I think this is sometimes the problem with with career planning. You say, okay, I really love equities. I think equities are really interesting. As an example, I'm coming in as a junior analyst on an equities team, and I want to move my way up, and then I want to be an equities fund manager. And I want to do, initially I'm going to do Single country equities or a single sector, and then I'm going to branch out i want to do regional, then I want to do global, and you know that's my career mapped out. That's what I want to do. I'm not sure that works a lot of the time um it might it might do for some it might work in in some firms, but i think I think more broadly you need to be very flexible. You might need to move asset classes i i've I've moved countries um a couple of times two or three times. And, and really enjoyed that experience. And that's been a very enriching and important part of my career. So that that flexibility to adapt and go where the opportunity presents itself is very important. Now, that again, maybe deviates from the sort of received wisdom where people are supposed to have five-year goals, 10-year goals, and, nav- and be very clear about where they're trying to get to and navigate. I I must say, I personally, based on my experience and what I've observed in others, I think that's very hard to do. Of course, having some idea of where you want to get to is important. But I think more important is to look for options. If I think back to my early career, think about it in terms of optionality, look at the good options and, and, and just go for it. Again, it doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything. I mean, I remember being presented with an opportunity quite early on to um, take charge of of a particular area in the business. And I just knew that I wasn't interested in it. I didn't believe in it. I didn't think that the idea was well thought out. I really didn't think that it would go anywhere. And I remember having to say no to somebody very, very senior. And it was really difficult. So I'm not saying that you have to say yes to everything. But in general, to be open to opportunities, I think, is is the key.
0: So you've got actually the the ability then, as I mentioned, to do actually a great job, definitely being flexible and also being open to the opportunities that you mentioned. And two years and a half ago, you decided to make the move to to East Frank. Then in, in September 2021, and you've been appointed as a CEO in October 2023. So... I was wondering then could you please give us actually much more details about the investment strategy of eSpring and how does the company position itself actually in the market?
1: Yeah so look I think eSpring is a really um, attractive firm and when I left HSBC um, I wasn't sure if I was going to retire and and do something very different or go back into an executive role but when, when the eSpring opportunity Came along, it was just so interesting. I I I felt really compelled to do it. Um, and, and it has turned out that way. It's it's been fantastic. So ESpring is um an Asia manager. We are we have probably the largest footprint across Asia of any investment firm. We have investment professionals in 10 or 11 different locations across Asia. And nearly all of those teams are large uh, compared to their local competitors. So we often have a top three, uh, top five position in all of the markets we operate in, from North Asia, Japan, Korea, um, China, down through Vietnam to Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Um, and and others. So really, really amazing and fantastic positioning. And that gives us the ability to do two things really, really well that are our key strengths. Number one, we can bring Asia and by extension, global emerging markets, which are largely Asia these days, they're sort of depending on the benchmark, and the asset class, they're 60, 70% Asia. It allows us to bring Asia and global emerging markets to the world. We we have the ambition, and I think we're, we're we've made good progress over the years in being a preeminent Asia and global emerging markets manager, offering a range of strategies from value growth, fixed income, investment grade, and and high yield, uh, through to quantitative or Asia and global emerging market strategies. So so that's. One key space that that we feel we can occupy and be very successful in. The other one is to because we have the footprint, we also have a distribution footprint. We also address a very large chunk of the Asia population. If we include China, if we include ASEAN, if we include India, where we have a, a very very successful joint venture. It's a very big proportion of the world's population. And we can also bring the world to them. Of course, we um, can deploy our core strategies that I've already talked about, and those are very relevant to that that investor group, both for institutional investors and retail investors, other intermediaries, other, other types of investors as well. But we can also curate and bring to them through strategic partnerships other uh, more global uh, investment um, strategies, um, global equities, global fixed income, some alternatives. We can we can use our distribution network to curate and bring those to them. So I think those are the two key things that, that eSpring does where we want to succeed and excel. Um, and of course, we're also extremely fortunate in being uh, wholly owned by a very large Asia focused insurance company, the Prudential Group, um, and we want to succeed with them. They've got a very exciting strategy, which they rolled out earlier this year. They made public under a new leader, a new CEO, who's really um, kind of injected a lot of energy uh, and, and direction and dynamism into the organization. And, and they have a wealth ambition, which we're part of, where we want to succeed. Uh, and of course, we have to also be good at managing the balance sheet assets that they give us to manage, not all their balance sheet assets, but some of them. Uh, and that's a very important capability for us as well. So that's, that's East Spring um, and, and, and what we do.
0: And speaking even of investment strategy, because especially in Asia, because we've seen for the past 12 months to 24 months that there is a growing interest in sustainable investing, especially, for example, for renewables assets. What is the place of sustainable investing in the strategy of East Spring, you would say today? Yeah,
1: so we'd like to think that we're pretty um, advanced compared to our Asia peer group. But I think we have to acknowledge that that entire Asia peer group is probably somewhat behind uh, Europe, which is kind of a leading the charge both against the US and and Asia on on ESG and sustainability um, more generally. We were signatories of the UMPRI from quite a long time ago. I think that was an important milestone for the firm. So, integrating ESG into decision making. We've progressed from there. Um, We actually, I think, have a really very good setup where we have a central ESG team that thinks more about policy, uh, central engagement, firm wide policies, training, ESG reporting, all those kinds of centralized functions. And we've got a Dedicated ESG team embedded into the investment teams, working hand in hand with with our investors. And for us, that works extremely well. Of course, those two teams work together and collaborate. So I think even in Asia, and particularly with the parentage that we've got, Prudential is itself very much at the vanguard of of ESG and sustainability. We've we've I think Progressed quite well. So where we are now is, you know, we've significantly reduced the carbon footprint of our portfolios. Um, we have some exclusions, but prefer engagement. We do a lot of engagement with with companies and and report on that. And um, I think that the 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 pendulum is now swinging uh, away from simply lowing lowering the carbon footprint towards um, evidencing that we're supporting a just transition. And I think that's very key for the markets we operate in. It's not just a question of the transition and going from brown to green, where we see a lot of opportunities and we have strategies focused on that, but doing that in a, in a way that is fair, equitable, and just to those emerging markets that we operate in. We're very keen on that. We're very sensitive to that. So that's where we're moving to now. So as I say not 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 perfect a lot of areas where we can still improve but i'd say pretty advanced for an asian peer group
0: yes definitely and um, uh, i think as you mentioned esg and even their sustainable investing peers are directly within actually the team in order actually just to make sure that those that those investment definitely make sense and those investment actually are definitely in transition to broad actually just to green and i think we discussed about your career journey, like especially your time then at HSBC, I'm not sure what you're doing at Eastpring. We touch upon also actually the importance of sustainable investing, actually within your, your strategy. I would like to go more deeper in your personal life, personal actually and personal life. And I would like to know basically what are the three things you will be, you definitely want to be remembered as a person.
1: Oh gosh. Wow. That's a, that's a tough question. Um... What would I like to be remembered for? I'm not sure I can come up with three, but I'd like to be remembered um, as a uh, invest for my investment expertise. I think that's very important to me personally. Um, I've always loved the investing side of things. I've always really enjoyed it. And I'd like to think it's something that I have a degree of expertise in. So I, 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 I'd, I'd, I'd Love it if people said, yes, Bill understood these things really well. He could explain them well. Um, he always helped to bring clarity to, to some of these things. So I, don't, I, I think that's important for me personally. Um, and then in the, last, in the last few years, over the last five years or so, as I've taken on more and more senior roles, I think the leadership aspect of what I do is also very important. I need to be a good leader. And and I'd like to eventually be remembered for, for doing that. My own particular brand, if I can put it that way, is I want to be a very honest leader. I I I feel that's very important. I've always greatly appreciated when people have been honest with me. And as a leader, I think you need to be very honest and, and genuine. Um and I'd also like to be somebody who um was 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 inclusive and um you know, treated people well, treated people fairly, but also ensured that the environment of the whole firm, the environment that people operated in was one where they could speak up and, and felt safe and, and felt able to uh, give feedback uh, both, you know, to peers, but, but also upwards to the leadership. It's very important for me personally that we have that, that kind of environment. And I guess if I had to say a third thing, I think the energy and drive that, that as a leader I bring to the organization is also very important. If I'm not energetic, if I'm not driving things forward, if I'm not seen to be that way, why should I expect other people to behave in that way? So I need to bring that energy and dynamism to the job as well. And I hope that eventually um, people might say that I, that I did that. In, in, in an okay way too.
0: Those are definitely three characteristics that will I mean, that will definitely leave a mark and I think that will definitely influence and inspire the younger generation. And that's definitely great, a great note just to finish on. And I would like to say thank you, Bill, for chatting to me today. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to look out for the next episodes of our In, in Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes through the CFA UK's SoundCloud channel and our April podcast. Thank you very much. Bye.
1: Thank you.